The Lord be with you. A reading of the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servers, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washings, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told them, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it. And when the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine without knowing where it came from, although the servers who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, an inferior one, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this as the beginning of his signs at Cana in Galilee, and so revealed his glory. And his disciples began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. They have run out of wine. I think we can pretty easily understand the symbolism, the spiritual meaning of wine. Wine symbolizes joy. Of course, always in moderation, never drunkenness, but quite frankly, if you have a glass of wine, it makes you pretty happy and relaxed. The scriptures speak this way. Psalm 104, wine gladdens the heart. Or Ecclesiastes 10, wine gladdens life. Wine can enrich the times that we share together. We don't say, hey, let's get together and have a glass of water. We say, let's get together and have a glass of wine and toast and celebrate. And like wine, marriage is designed by God to bring joy. But it's somewhat run empty, hasn't it? I mean, for starters, look at what's going on in our society. It's been several years now since we legalized same-sex marriage in this country. Now the big push is for polyamorous marriage. And we justify this in our culture by saying, well, if two people, or three people, or whoever, whatever, if they love each other, which, which may be true, there may be great feelings of affection there, but if they love each other, we can do this. But the truth is, we do what we want. And then we claim that this is even what God wants, right? Well, because if people love each other, well, God is love, so of course this must be all good and fine. Friends, God has told us what he wants. Either a lifelong one flesh union of one man and one woman that is open to children, or the scriptures teach us an even higher calling than that is when you forego marriage completely so that you dedicate your life completely to Jesus, what we call celibacy. The Lord wants this because both of these callings reflect the marriage between God and humanity between Christ and his church. Okay, but even beyond that, even with 
in the design that God has given to us, things can still turn sour and run empty, can't they? I mean, many of us know the bitterness of divorce. Or others of us, maybe we stay together, but things have turned acidic as we pull apart and then blame each other for our misery. And then there are those who desperately want to be married, and we're empty because we've pinned all of our hope on the idea that I'm going to find the perfect one, and then this person's going to come and fill my cup. And then there are those of us that death stole our spouse, and the wine is drained in grief and deep sorrow. But let's move beyond even marriage and relationships. Just Life in general these days. I mean, it was not great living in America before, but now ever since the pandemic, statistics are showing that rates of depression and anxiety are four times what they were before COVID. And maybe you're not feeling depressed or anxious, but you just sort of feel off, right? And you can't really explain why. Some have called this languishing. You're able to function, yeah, you're just, but you're just down, weary, edgy, angry, lonely. We've run out of wine. I don't mean this kind of wine. That's why I love this story, this, this wonderfully rich, deeply mysterious first sign of Jesus. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, you think about this, of all the miracles you could do as your debut as the Messiah, Jesus changes water to wine. What's going on here? Obviously, a whole lot more than just simply trying to save this couple the embarrassment of their party flopping. In the Old Testament, the prophets would describe the messianic age, the coming of Messiah, with an overabundance of wine. Both Joel and Amos describe it this way. They say, the hills will be dripping with sweet wine. You can picture the vineyards up on the hills just dripping with sweet wine. And so you have Jesus here in his very first sign, showing that he is the Messiah, creating an overabundance of wine, 120 to 180 gallons of the finest of all wines, which just goes to show that our God made life to be rich, to be full, and to be joyous. And that comes not from of course, this kind of wine. This just gives us a little sense of something far greater. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He says, in fact, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, to be inebriated with the elixir of His Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's let that ferment a little bit. Let's take our chalice and plunge it now deeper into the story. Let's, let's swirl it around a little, savor it. And let's take a sip. Hmm. Of course, it's water. Come on. <laughs> How long is he going to preach? <laughs> In the story, it's interesting to me how both Genesis and John start the same way. They both begin with the words, in the beginning. And in chapter 2 of both books, you have then a wedding. Adam and Eve in Genesis, this couple here at Cana, 
here in John. Of course, we know what happened to Adam and Eve. They divorced, right? They got divorced from God and from each other. They turn on each other, they blame each other, they put on those ridiculous fig leaf costumes to hide from each other, then they dive into the bushes to hide from God, and all of that just simply goes to show us that the party's over. The wine has run out, and they have to now leave the garden with a hangover of death. But then go to the next book of the Bible, Exodus, where God has ransomed his people and saved Israel from Egyptian slavery, and he brings them out to Mount Sinai, right? And we're told in Exodus 19, on the third day, hold that thought, on the third day, God comes down on the mountain and he reveals his glory to them. And the rabbis taught that this was God, the Lord God coming down and marrying his people Israel. But of course, the rest of the Old Testament is mostly about his, how Israel is an unfaithful bride. She's always chasing after other gods. Meanwhile, the Lord God is the faithful groom. He's madly in love with his bride. That's what we heard Isaiah saying in our first reading. Now come up to the time of Jesus. And by this point, the Jews have created an elaborate system, a religious system of of ceremonies and rituals and all kinds of rigorous ways to to show God in the very best sense. They wanted to show God, no, they are faithful and they're devoted to to Him. But somehow they had messed up this rigor with religion, real religion, because Jesus is constantly having to say things to them like, these people honor me with their lips, Ah, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. And so, John says, on the third day. From what? He doesn't say the third day from what. He just says, on the third day, there's a wedding at Cana, and Jesus and his disciples and his mother, they're all there. And there are six, six, an imperfect number, not seven, the perfect number. There are six empty stone water jars used for the Jewish rites of purification. To symbolize and show that all of that religious system, all of those traditions, all of those regulations were imperfect. But Jesus orders that they be filled with water. And it's transformed from water into wine. And John says this was to reveal his glory. And all of it goes to show any of us that no matter our best religious efforts, our our, our best behavior, our good behavior, we can't bring ourselves the joy. We can't fill ourselves up. We need to be filled, and we need to be transformed. Let's take another sip. Normally, the the wedding is all about the couple, right? It's their big day. But the head waiter goes to the groom and says, you saved the best wine for last. That groom must have been like, I don't know what you're talking about. What what do you, what? Because he's not the real groom in the story. The real groom is the one who changed the water into wine. And then the bride, it's usually, it's actually not about the couple, it's about the bride, isn't it? The bride, she's not named, she's not even mentioned in the story because the real bride is not the girl at Cana, the real bride is you and me, us, the church. The real wedding is Christ and his church. One more step. 
Jesus tells his mom that their hour has not yet, his hour has not yet come. But this sign then points to that hour, and his mother is there again, and he calls her woman again, not disrespecting his mama, but it's because she is the woman. She represents the woman, the new Eve, the new Israel, the bride, the church. She represents, Mary represents us there at the foot of the cross about to be wed to God because Jesus is the man, the God-man come down from heaven. He's the new Adam. He is the groom who makes the sacrifice of himself for his bride. And in a way so reminiscent of Genesis and how Eve was created from the side of Adam, Jesus now sleeps in death, and from his side that is pierced comes water and blood, signifying the two great sacraments of baptism and Eucharist by which we are made into his bride. And then, the third day. Resurrection, consummation, glory, party, feast. And we live now in that third day, now and not yet. We live now in that resurrection, and we especially get a taste of it here in the Eucharist. Because just as that water became wine, in a moment this bread and wine will become his body and blood so that our groom can intimately unite himself to us as his holy bride. But that's just a taste, because what we get this morning under the bread and the wine, we have to see it in the bread and the wine, on the last day when we are raised up from the dead, body and soul and perfect, we will be in the presence. We will see face to face our God wedded to him. Glory, glory, resurrection, eternal celebration, bliss and joy. He always saves the best for last. Oh, my friends, we're done sipping. We need to now drink deeply. Because if you want this joy in your marriage, in your relationships, in your life, if you want this joy, most importantly, with your God, if you want the joy that is like rich, savory wine, then the story tells us to do three things. Number one, invite him. Invite him. That sounds kind of obvious, doesn't it? But the couple at Cana invited him. Invite him. But not like any old guest. You know, a, a lot of couples today invite a lot of people so they can get a lot of gifts. Oh, thank you for coming, Jesus. Your gifts are very greatly appreciated. We have you seated over here at table 27 with our weird relatives that we invited them to because we wanted their gifts. Is that where Jesus is in your life? I love this painting by Paolo Veronese. The wedding at Cana. Look at this scene. It's hard to see. There's so many details to it. Look at that party. They are feasting. The wine is pouring in the front. The band, they're jamming. You got people up on the roof. Here's one of my favorite parts, though. Up in the top left-hand corner, you probably can't see it, but can we zoom in on that there? Right there. That's a pupper dogger up there. That's a pup. He's got his head through the rails. Even the puppy wants to get in on the party. This is a party! Now, over here in the bottom left-hand corner, there's the couple. And where's Jesus? Of course, let's zoom back out right there. In the very center. 
And my point is really simple. Can we go back out to the big scene, Derek? The fourth picture. Invite him and you sit over here and seat him here in your life, in the center. Second thing, tell him. Tell him, I'm out of wine, Jesus. I'm empty. We spend so much time talking about our problems, talking about other people who we think are the source of all of our problems, worrying and stressing and stewing and losing sleep. And then then we try to self-diagnose and self-medicate and self-help. Pray. Tell him. Talk to him. I'm out of wine, Jesus. I'm empty. And then the third thing, and this is the hardest one, obey him. But Mary, our mother, teaches us this. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you, even if it seems impossible or ridiculous. Go fill those jars with water. Jesus, that's dumb. We don't need water at this wedding. We need some wine. Yeah, well, look what he did with it. Do whatever he tells you, even if you don't agree with it, even if you don't feel like it. Do whatever he tells you, totally and completely obey him. Because see, as our Lord gives his commands, he doesn't give commands because he is trying to control your life and be a tyrant. He gives you his commands because he loves you and he knows what is best for you. And that's what his commands teach us. See, we've got to stop loving Jesus, but also loving this, this other stuff, whatever it might be. We've got to stop trying to, you know, be filled up with a little bit of Jesus. Oh, I need Jesus. Oh, of course. But then I also want to be filled up with all of this. I think this is going to make me happy. We've got to stop looking for our joy in all of these other places. We've got to stop being polyamorous. He is our true love. He's our only love. Only He can transform water into wine. Only He can transform you. Only He can fill you with great joy. And He wants to fill you to the brim with His Holy Spirit. So invite Him. Tell Him, I'm out of wine, Jesus. And then obey Him.